Hey, church family, it's great to be together today. I'd love for you to grab a Bible if you have one nearby. Open it up, turn it on, and go to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is where we're going to be. And while you're turning there, let's just talk for a minute. How are you doing? How, how are you feeling? You know, I, I, I talk to a lot of people, and, and just even some of the things that I've been feeling lately, I think... It's fair to say that for all of us, if we could kind of consolidate how we're feeling right now to just, to just one emotion, I think it might be this. It's that we're all really tired, right? I mean, we're just tired of, of kind of what's going on right now. We're tired of living in a pandemic. We're tired of not being able to gather in person for church on Sundays. We're tired of wearing masks and social distancing and being told that we can't hug people. Oh, we're tired of another instance, one after another, of racial division and injustice. We're tired of unrest in our cities. We're tired because our kids are supposed to be going back to school soon and we're, we're finding out they're not. We're tired of politics. We're tired of politicians and their political ads. We're, we're tired of not knowing who we can trust? Are you tired? Maybe even feeling a little bit helpless, right? I mean, it's just a weird time that we're living in. And, and I know there's tons of opinions out there, especially as it relates to the pandemic. I know that there are some that are taking it very seriously and are, are genuinely concerned. I know there are others that out there licking doorknobs. You know, you think this whole thing is just a hoax. I think it's fair to say that wherever we are on, on that spectrum, like we're just tired of this and we're kind of just over it. Day after day for months now, it's, it's getting re really old and it's exhausting. I know for me, I'm, I'm just, I'm tired of it. There have been days over the last number of months where, you know, if I'm honest, I, I really leaned into my faith. I've grown in my faith. There are days that, that I really trusted God and I've, I've, I've tried to understand what God is doing in the world right now and see him at work. There have been days I've even sort of recommitted myself to God, recommitted to you know, my Bible reading and, and, and spending time with him. And then there have been days where I'm just numb and I just feel helpless and tired and I wanna run and hide and put my head in the sand and just put my faith on cruise control. Have you felt like that? I'm guessing if I have, you have as well. There have been days over these last number of months that you've been very excited about your faith. I'll bet there have been days that you have run to God because it's the only place that you know to go. And so you, you, you've run there. I bet there have been days that you've been really discouraged and your faith has been sort of an afterthought. You haven't even wanted to get out of bed, right? I mean, we're all just tired. We're all just worn out by everything that's going on right now. And so first, I, I just wanna say thank you for tuning in today. And you know, I know that it's really hard to have it feel like church when we're just gathering online. I, I get it. I know for some of you, it, it would be easier just to tune out and not commit to being here every Sunday morning or, or whenever you're watching. I get it. 
I've had days like that as well. I've been really encouraged by something the Apostle Paul wrote. On some of those days where I've struggled, I've been encouraged when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. And he said, let us not become weary in doing good, for we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I'm just really encouraged by that, and I want to encourage you, don't give up. Keep trusting God. Keep leaning in to Jesus. When you're scared and when you feel helpless, go to him. When you're tired, go to this Jesus who says, I will give you rest. Keep tuning in each week. The answer is not to turn away from God. It's to lean in. Keep leaning in. And I believe we'll get through this together. God is at work, he's up to something and we'll get through this together, church. So we're gonna continue, jump into our series today in the 10 commandments that we've been in and you're tired. Maybe you're like, I'm tired of this series. I actually love this series. I think it's been great looking at these ancient laws, these 10 commandments. I think what's funny is as we've gone, they've, they've, they've grown in magnitude, it feels like. And they're these really big sort of monumental ideas. God says, don't worship any other gods. Don't make idols. He goes, don't murder each other. He says, don't commit adultery. He's talking about these, these life-changing, really big things. As we continue in our series today, we're gonna look at the ninth commandment. And truth be told, it is a little bit boring. Compared to where we've been, murder, adultery, things like that, it feels a little bit boring. Maybe even like, how did that sneak in there? Let's go there. The ninth commandment, Exodus chapter 20. Listen to this. Verse 16, God says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And sometimes it's simply said this way. Don't lie. And, you know, it kind of feels... I don't know, underwhelming. I mean, we all know that we shouldn't lie, right? At least the really big lies. We all know those are wrong. We kind of excuse some of the the little white lies, but the big ones, we know that we shouldn't lie. Yet this command, it seems so small amongst giants. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. And And then we put in there, don't lie. It feels really underwhelming. It feels like it doesn't really belong in the Ten Commandments. And yet, if we step back and we look at all of Scripture, everything that God is is trying to teach us, all that he has said, you know that we actually find out God really doesn't like lying. He really talks about it a lot in his word, and he clearly has a problem with lying. Let Let me give you some of the passages that I would point you to, and you can jot these down and look them up later, or maybe take a screenshot with your phone of the screen, but a number of things that God says about lying. Proverbs 6, that God hates a lying tongue. Ephesians 4 in the New Testament, Paul writes, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Proverbs 19, It says that he who breathes lies perishes. There are are more. Colossians 3, 9, Paul personalizes it a little bit to the church family. He says, do not lie to each other. He brings relationship into it. Incredibly, in Revelation 21, 
John writes, and he puts all of these in one category. Murderers, idolaters, the sexually immoral, and liars, all in the same category. Jesus, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, the devil is the father of lies. So if we look at all of scripture, we get this idea that, that man, God really hates lying. It's a really big deal. But it sort of begs the question, why? Because again, it seems like such a small thing. Especially just, you know, it's just a little lie, right? Who took the last cookie? It was Jim. Like, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Let's go back to the commandment for a minute because I think it, it answers some of this. It tells a little bit of the story about why God is so concerned with lying. Listen to it again. Exodus 20, verse 16. God says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So think about that word, testimony. Who gives a testimony? A witness, right? A witness is someone who describes what they've seen or, or what they've experienced. This is courtroom language. This is CSI stuff. It's a witness that gives a testimony. So they bring a witness into a courtroom and they ask them questions. What did you see? What happened? Who was there? Where were you standing? And the, this, this witness responds to those questions. Now, the ninth commandment then, if we think of it in that setting, is God's way of telling us he wants us to be reliable witnesses. He wants his people to be trustworthy witnesses. He wants his children to be the kind of people who, if they say something happened or something didn't happen, that people believe them, that they're trustworthy. Now just think about that for a second. Think about someone who is trustworthy. What does it look like? So you, you have people in your life that you know that are probably trustworthy. You probably have some people you know that are not trustworthy. What, what makes someone reliable? What makes someone trustworthy? We could probably come up with a whole, a whole host of things, but like, let's just let's think about this a little bit and let's make a list about someone who is trustworthy. What would they be like? Well, first, I think you would want to know that they're honest, right? So if you know somebody who's notorious for telling a bunch of fibs, you probably wouldn't call them trustworthy. If, if they've exaggerated the truth on more than one occasion or flat out lied, you're not gonna call them trustworthy because they're not honest. How about somebody who's faithful? Don't you wanna know someone's track record. Like if you're gonna tell them some important piece of information, you're gonna trust them with something really important. Don't you wanna know their track record? Have they been faithful? How have they treated you in the past? How have they handled information in the past? You wanna know more about their character, right? So tell me about who they are. Tell me about what kind of person they are. What kind of character do they have? Are they a person of integrity? Are they a person that other people respect? That would make them trustworthy. I think you'd want to know if, if a person can handle things that are confidential. Do you trust someone that gossips all the time? 
Do you trust someone that they blab everybody else's business to you? No, probably not, right? And so I think that's just the beginning of a list of, of what it would be to, to be trustworthy, what it would look like to be trustworthy. That's what God is calling us to, to be people that are trustworthy, who can be taken at our word. Now, why? Why is it such a big deal? Why is God so concerned with the fact that, that we're good witnesses, that we're reliable witnesses? Why would God put this on the same level as murder and as adultery and as having other gods when lying seems like such a minor offense, yet it makes the, the Ten Commandments the, the top ten list? What is it about being a reliable, trustworthy witness that God is so concerned about? I want to answer that question. Let's go over to the New Testament. Jump over to the New Testament. Acts chapter 1 is where I want to go. Flip over there in your Bible to Acts chapter 1. And the scene here is that this is after Jesus' death and resurrection. This is before Jesus ascends into heaven. And he's talking to his friends. And these are kind of some of his final words. He's giving this final instruction, this final direction to his disciples. And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus tells them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's that word, Witness, And Jesus is going to his disciples, to his followers. He's going, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell the world about my love and my power. You're going to speak to the things that you've seen. You're going to talk about what you've experienced. You're going to tell people about the miracles that I performed. You're gonna tell people about what it's meant to follow me, how your life has changed. You, disciples, he says, you're going to be my witnesses. See, from the beginning, this has been God's plan here in Acts, but also if we go back, all the way back to Exodus 20, when God is giving the 10 commandments. See, the Israelites are going into the promised land. They're going into this, this new land. They've left Egypt where they were slaves. God's taking them into the promised land. And God says, you're gonna be my witnesses because they're gonna encounter people that have never heard about God before. They're gonna encounter these people called the Canaanites who live radically different lives than the Israelites. The Canaanite culture is full of violence and, and sacrifice. Lots of, lots of gods. It's very pagan. And the Israelites are going to be God's Witnesses. So fast forward 1,500 years here to Acts, where Jesus says, my disciples. And then fast forward a couple thousand years to now, Christ follower, you are God's plan to tell the world about his love. You, you are God's plan. You are plan A. And there is no plan B. You and I are God's witnesses. Why? Because like a witness goes into a courtroom to describe what they've seen or what they've experienced, you and I can describe what we've seen in people's lives as God has changed them. We can describe what we've experienced as we've walked with 
Jesus. And so we are witnesses. And our role in God's kingdom is to be a witness. But if we're not trustworthy, if we're not reliable, then who will listen to us? I think, I think this is at least in part why lying, which seems like such a small thing, is such a big deal to God that he raises it into the Ten Commandments on the level of murder and, and, and adultery. He puts it on that level. Well, it's because the gospel of Jesus Christ depends on having reliable witnesses. If this is Christ's method to tell the world about his love through his disciples, through witnesses, then the gospel and the spread of the gospel depends on reliable witnesses. Because, Christ follower, think about the gospel. Think about the good news of Jesus. I think we would all say it's a powerful, life-changing, monumental message. It is the most important message. But think about it for a second. Here, here's, the, here's the good news. There, there's this guy named Jesus. Except he wasn't just a man, he was God. But he left heaven and he came to earth and he lived a life. He was perfect. And yet they nailed him to a cross. It's, it's indisputable. People saw it happen. And three days later, he came back to life. Also indisputable. Hundreds of people saw it happen. It's documented in history. It happened. And then he spent 40 days showing up, talking with his friends. It was real. He walked and he talked and he, and he ate and all those things. And then he ascended into heaven. And he said, I'm going to come back for you. One day I will return and I will gather everyone who loves me, who believes in my name. I will gather them to me for all of eternity. Like if you're going to sell that story, you better be reliable. Because it's radical, man. That story, that's crazy. The gospel message is so offensive and it's so out there. You better be trustworthy. Do you see why God is so concerned? that his people would be trustworthy. Do you see why it rises to such a high level? Because the ramifications are massive. If God's children are running around and we're all a bunch of liars and no one is ever gonna believe us, then how can we tell them about the love and the forgiveness and the grace and mercy of this incredible God we have, of our Savior, Jesus Christ? So personalize it. Walk into the story. Just put yourself in this place. If you are God's witness, Christ follower, are you reliable? Are you trustworthy? Can people take you at your word? I want to spend the rest of our time talking about that. What does it look like to be a reliable witness? What does it mean to live a life where people see your life and they hear your words and it points them to Christ? And honestly, I love this. This gets me so fired up because this is where faith becomes very real. This is where following Jesus becomes real, but it also gets hard because if you think following Jesus is just coming to church for an hour on Sunday, it's not. It's about taking what Jesus has said and what he has taught 
letting it soak in and asking him for his help and making it a reality in our lives. It's not just showing up at church. It's taking everything that Jesus taught and putting it into practice. And this is where you could easily just tune this out because it gets hard. So it's where it's hard to follow Jesus, but I get excited about this. This is being a disciple of Jesus, putting into reality, into practice in our lives what Jesus has taught. That's discipleship. So let's talk about it. What does it mean to be a reliable witness for Jesus? And let me give you just a few things to jot down in your notes. And maybe you go, oh, it's too formulaic just to go, oh, hey, here's three things. But it's taking what God says and making it real, making it practical in our lives. So here we go. What's a reliable witness for Jesus? A reliable witness for Jesus is real about their life. Write that down. Real about your life. Do you know somebody who... They act like they have it all together, like everything is perfect. You go on their Instagram page and it is a charmed life and it looks perfect, but you know, you can smell it on them. It's, it's a fraud. It's fake. They're, they're just pretending. I think one of the most harmful things that Christians can do to the gospel is pretend like we're perfect. Because the world sees us and they go, I could never live up to that. And so they turn away. They reject us and they reject Jesus. I love this story in the Bible. It's in the book of Mark. I would encourage you, pick up your Bible and read it this week. It's in Mark chapter nine. There's a story about a dad and this dad's son is sick and he's done everything that he can think of. He's gone to all the doctors and he's tried everything. And so he brings his son to this guy named Jesus and he says, Jesus, if there's anything that you can do to help my son, he's very ill. If there's anything that you can do to help him, would you help him? And Jesus says, sir, do you believe? Do you believe that there's anything I can do? And I love the dad. He goes, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I believe. Uh, but wait, help me when I don't believe. It's so real. He's like, yes, I believe, but also I'm not sure I do believe. So would you help me? And it's just so real. God, I want to believe. God, I want to believe that this pandemic is happening for a reason and that you're doing something that I can't see. God, I want to believe that you still have a plan for my life. I want to believe that you're doing things behind the scenes that are, that are greater than anything that I could imagine. God, I want to believe that everything's going to be okay. God, I want to believe that you are the comforter that you say you are, but my family has rejected me. God, I want to believe that you are the prince of peace. And yet I'm so lonely because my boyfriend or my girlfriend broke up with me. God, I want to believe that you are the provider and yet I don't know how I'm gonna pay my rent. God, I want to believe. But some days I don't. Is that, is that honest? Is that real? God, some days I don't. Would you help me? If Christ followers were real people, how much more trustworthy, how much more reliable would we be? Instead of acting like we have it all together, if we were real with our doubts, 
and our anxieties and our shame and yes, even our sin. Instead of acting like we're perfect, if we're perfect, what do we need Jesus for? I'm a screw up. I have anxiety. I can be a prideful jerk. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. How about that? That's real. That's, that's truth. And Jesus is such a great savior that he allows me to bring all that to him. And he goes, I want to walk with you through that. You don't have to hide that from me. Are you putting on an act? Are you pretending to be perfect because that's what you think it means to follow Jesus? It's not. Do you think that you have to somehow falsely protect God's reputation? You don't. We will be more effective, more reliable witnesses if we are honest, if we are real. Even to admit, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus. No, every day is not perfect. That's a trustworthy witness for Jesus. The second thing I want you to write down, a reliable witness is someone who's changed by Christ. Someone who's been changed. Think before and after photos. We love before and after photos, right? And you can find them everywhere. You can find them like with weight loss programs. You can find them with cosmetic surgery, before and after, right? particularly like the ones having to do with hair loss, okay? I like HGTV. I like seeing home makeovers before and after. Why? Why do we love before and after so much? We love transformation from old to new. Has Jesus changed your life? Is there an old version but a new version, someone that you are and someone that you're becoming? I... I hope so. The Apostle Paul describes his transformation like this to Timothy. I was a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent man. And then I received grace before and after. Here's who I was. I met Jesus. And here's what he's doing in my life. What's your before and after? Maybe you're watching today and you're just exploring faith in Jesus. And you're like, I, I don't know this Jesus. I don't have this after. Cool, I, that's okay. I'm so glad that you're tuning in today. Here's what I want you to know. There's this God, his name is Jesus, and he died on a cross for your sins. And he came back to life. And the Bible says, if you will believe in his name, he will give you mercy and grace and he will give you new Life, And it doesn't mean that he will snap his fingers and everything will be perfect, but he will walk with you. There is a before, but there will be an after of you, who God wants you to be. But if you're a Christ follower, can you think of some ways that God has changed you? I mean, that's part of being a reliable witness. Can you describe ways that God has changed you or God is changing you? And my question for you is if you can't, if you're the same person that you were a year ago and five years ago, are you letting God change you? Or are you too stubborn and too prideful to admit that you need him in your life, that you need him to soften your heart? Have you let Jesus change you during this pandemic? It's been going on for months now. 
Or are you just waiting till it's over? You'll get back to normal. Have you seen him move in your life? Or you're just focused on when will the church regather again? The story of, of, of a changed life is so radical, so inspiring. Think of these Israelites. Go back to the Ten Commandments. Do they have a story of life change? Yeah, they're in Egypt. They're slaves. They are lonely. They are isolated. They start following God, and everything doesn't become perfect overnight, but he starts to walk with them, to take them where he wants them. It's a real story of life change. We were slaves, and now we're free, and we're moving towards who God wants us to be. Do you have a story, a story of, of life change? Because remember, we're witnesses. We're called to tell people, here's what God has done. Here's what I've seen and what I've experienced of God's doing. That's the, that's the powerful transformation of the gospel. And again, this is where this Jesus thing becomes every day. Following Jesus is an everyday thing. This is not religion. This is real life stuff of humbling yourself to say, God, would you change me? God, would you soften my heart? God, would you humble me, and it's uncomfortable, but that's the power of the good news of Jesus. If you're not growing, could I encourage you to talk to God, say, how do you want to change me? Pick up your Bible, start reading, pick up your Bible and, and, and read the book of Mark this week. Just start getting in there and reading. If you're feeling like I'm not growing, maybe you're too isolated, you need to be in, in a group of people. Find your way into a small group or a care group or a, or a Bible study of some sort. If you're a student, join our, our, our high school ministry or middle school ministry. Find a way to serve. That's where we grow. And Jesus wants to change you. He wants to go on a journey with you. Will you let him? Will you let him change your life? Because your testimony, how God has changed you, will point people to Jesus. Final point, a reliable witness is someone who's ready to share their joy. Here's what I mean. Part of the reason for the Ten Commandments is that God wanted his people to be different. He said, I'm gonna create these, these Ten Commandments for my people because I want my people to be different than all the other nations. They left Egypt where it was, it was crazy. There was slavery and just no dignity for human life. They're going into Canaan where they're gonna see atrocities like child sacrifice and God's going, you're not gonna live like that you're gonna be different. And when you prosper, and when you have peace, and when you have joy, people are gonna ask you, and here's what I want you to tell them. We follow God, and he has changed our lives. And the hope is that they will worship this one true God. Christ follower, are you ready to share your joy? If someone asked you today, why do you have joy? Why do you have peace? Would you have an answer? Listen to what Peter says. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 15, he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. He says, be ready. Be ready to say, Jesus has changed my life. Is that terrifying? Yes, maybe. But it's just be ready to encourage somebody to go, it's Jesus that gives me joy. It's Jesus that changed my life. 
Maybe you need to just pull away and talk to God and say, why do I have joy? Why do I have peace? And let it lead you back to Jesus so that you're ready when someone asks, what's different about you? What is this joy in you? You know, we've asked the question each week of this series, what does God want from us? While the 10 commandments can feel like a list of don'ts, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. What does God want from us? Well, here's what he wants. He just wants you to be a reliable witness. Not to be perfect, but to be real, to be a living, breathing example, a living, breathing testimony to the power of God, to the mercy of his son, Jesus. Jesus, I think, sums it up for us. He says it this way. He says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. I think it's this simple. Shine the love and truth of Christ for all to see. Pray with me. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can be real with you and with each other. That we can be honest about our doubts and our shame, our anxiety, our loneliness, our brokenness. And somehow that honesty makes us more trustworthy, makes us more effective with the good news of your son, Jesus. Thank you for how you've changed our lives. Everyone who is hearing my voice, thank you, God, for how you have and how you are working in their life, whether they can see it now or not. You are. God, please continue to work. God, help us to be reliable witnesses for Jesus Christ. It's the work of, the, of your Holy Spirit that, that shares your love, but God, you've, you've tasked us to be the messengers. And so God, would you help us? Would you show us, maybe it's in words, but maybe it's in actions, how we can demonstrate your love to people that don't know you, to people that are far from you, or maybe people that do know you, but they're hurting right now. God, help us to be humble so that we can be changed, so that we can become more like Jesus Christ, so that our life would shine like a city on a hill to the truth and the love of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.